When I was born, my parents named me Noel Marie. It's a good name, I think, and it suits me. That name stuck for 29 years until my own first child was born. And then suddenly I was renamed. I was Eli's mommy. Now in several other cultures, this is actually an expected part of the social process of becoming a mother. I, however, was not expecting it. There was still, there was and there still is a whole swath of the population, daycare teachers, little preschool friends, other parents in our music class, the pediatrician staff, they all refer to me, to my face, as Eli's mommy. Now, after the initial breaking in period, I've gotten used to it and even gotten used to the additional moniker that comes along with that additional child, Eli and Lyndon's mommy. Now that I've embraced it, it is honestly perhaps my favorite name, connecting me indelibly to my favorite occupation, raising my kids. What's your favorite name? We spend a lot of time being named, it seems. In the words of anti-establishment teenagers everywhere, we're being labeled, I guess. But I prefer, as uh, I'm getting softer in my old age, to think about it as being named. Think for a moment of your own names, those things by which other people refer to you or by which you refer to yourself. Now, we are in church, so keep it clean. My list is long. Some of them are mother, wife, sister, daughter, priest, runner, photographer, loyal friend. These are the ways I am named, both by myself and by the folks around me and by my situation. Different names rise to the top of the list as different parts of me are needed, hence Eli's mommy. But I am all of those things at any given time. What I don't like, and I think this is part of that labeling backlash, is being boxed in by something that someone else wants to call me. I love being a mommy with every fiber of who I am. But I'm more than that. I am more than a priest or a woman or a runner. I am more even than the sum of all of those things. We need these names to tell each other apart, to make daily conversation a little smoother. But when we use these names to essentialize and categorize or define each other, it gets uncomfortable and even a little bit dangerous. Jesus's rebuke to Peter is strong and it is angry. Get behind me, Satan. He says, Peter has tried to define Jesus, to box him in according to the perception and expectation of what he believes a Messiah should do and say and be. Jesus makes it clear that he is not about to let Peter or anyone else define him. He refused to be limited by the devil in the wilderness, and he refuses to be limited by Peter. The world's notion of Messiah, conquering, ruling, defeating, that wasn't part of God's identity in Jesus. 
This is the first of three predictions of Jesus' suffering, rejection, death, and resurrection in the Gospel of Mark. Each time, that prediction is followed by the disciples' failure to relate Jesus' own self-understanding with their perceptions of him. And each time, that incongruity between what Jesus is teaching and what the disciples want to hear bubbles up to the surface. Jesus' rebuke to Peter is just a small part of this story, not at all as significant as some of the other major plot movers we get in Mark. But if we think of Peter and his friends as our own models of discipleship, this tiny piece of the story serves two purposes. First, it reminds us that God will not be limited by our minuscule, little, tiny human definitions, and that there is no box big enough for us to put God in. Second, it reminds us not to let anyone else define us or box us in or tell us that we are smaller or less powerful than we really are. You may have noticed two glaring omissions in my earlier list of my own names. There are two omissions, child of God and disciple. These two names, these inform the whole rest of my being. As a child of God and as a disciple, I make decisions on how to parent and how to be a wife how to minister, how to be a sister and a daughter and a citizen, and sometimes even how to be a runner. I am, first and foremost and above all else, a child of God. Even before I was named by my parents, I was called beloved child by one more powerful even than they. That name is one that I strive to grow into a little bit more every day. Through my own learning and understanding, through God's calling and my own faltering answer, I am called disciple. That is one box that I am happy to occupy because there is plenty of room for me to grow in it, to learn, for me to be exactly who I am created to be. I know that these two names, child of God and disciple, can be applied to everyone in this room. We are all of us children of God, whether we choose to embrace this as our identity or not. And by the fact that you are sitting here in this one worship service on this one day, you are a disciple, even for just a little while. Something called you here today, and you listened. That's a piece of discipleship. Many others of us in this room are disciples every day, actively trying to figure out what in the world that means in this complex, secular world. Being called into discipleship means now what it did in Jesus' day. We are doing our level best to follow the good example of Christ. We are struggling with figuring that out. We don't know if we're always doing it right. Chances are pretty good we're not. But we're hoping that God gives out A's for effort. There will be times when we 
fail miserably at being disciples. The disciples at Jesus' feet certainly did, as we see in our story this morning. There will be days and weeks and seasons even when we lose sight of the importance of our own many names before God. We will devalue ourselves and we will trust in someone else's definition of us more than our own, more even than God's. We will believe it when they call us limited or small, useless, hopeless, powerless, forgotten. We will fail also by trying to define God for our own purposes, just as Peter did, and we will be rebuked because God is not for us to define or create or maybe even know. We are God's not the other way around. But we will succeed sometimes, too, at being disciples. We will succeed when we listen for that voice of God and then follow through rather than arguing for our own agenda. We will be successful disciples when we begin to understand that bearing up one's cross doesn't mean simply living through something terrible, or carrying around some kind of difficult burden. It means taking great personal risk for doing what is right, particularly for the sake of others. Cross-bearing is difficult work. It isn't for the faint of spirit. But then we disciples have never been faint of spirit. We will be successful disciples when we act like disciples. That is, living with honesty and with integrity in all things and with all people. And finally, we will be successful disciples at those times when we know ourselves to be, without doubts or hesitation, beloved children of a God whose love knows no bounds, who wants us to follow and wants us to succeed. Amen.